Hello, friends. I'm Luke, and I serve on the music team at Holy Family. We continue to hear stories from people like you who listen to the Holy Family podcast and consider Holy Family your church. And whether you're someone who's constantly on the go, hasn't found a church community where you live to which you can belong, or someone who's wondering about the shape of your faith, we are honored to be with you by sharing these reflections from our Sunday liturgies. We rely on the generosity of our congregation, which includes you wherever you listen, to help our ministry achieve and maintain financial health. If this podcast has been a gift to you, would you consider making a contribution so that we can continue offering resources that welcome questions, curiosities, and doubts? You can make a gift by following the link in our show notes. That's at holyfamilyhtx.org. From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. One of my favorite artists, James Terrell, once put it like this. Light is not so much something that reveals as it is itself the revelation. The light is the focus, but not necessarily the thing being illuminated. Uh, Maybe you've been to the Twilight Epiphany on Rice's campus, and you watch the ways that Terrell, in many ways, the master of simplicity, uses light to pull the heavens right into our midst. If you haven't had that experience, as a free ad for them, (laughs) uh, every morning, every night, you should go and experience that at least once in your life. You ever had a mountaintop experience? You ever had a mystical experience? Get a little weirder with it. Not just, oh, that felt so good, but get kind of strange for a second. You ever had one of those moments that, perhaps even as it was happening, but certainly as time elapsed and you reflect on it in retrospect, you just think, God, that was weird. Have you ever had something that challenges all of your presumptions and assumptions about how the modern world works? I'm talking about the kinds of stories that you don't really want to tell other people because you have a reputation to uphold, and you're too afraid that if you told people about this experience that you had with kind of a straight face, like, no, this really happened, you think that people might think differently (laughs) about you? 
the kind of story that you couldn't ever prove if you had a chalkboard and you couldn't quite throw it into an Excel spreadsheet and make it all make sense. But in your heart, you knew that it happened. And if anyone tried to tell you it didn't happen, you just almost embarrassingly just had to say, well, I'm, I don't have a category for it either, but I'm telling you, it did. I just think church ought to be the kind of place where it's a safe space to tell those kinds of weird stories, because one of the cool things about being a pastor for long enough is people will say, hey, can I talk to you for five minutes? And then they'll tell you these like crazy stories that have happened in their life, and you get the absolute privilege of just taking it and saying, yeah, I'm sure that's exactly how it happened. And you receive that, and you hold it back to them and say, yep, I 100% believe you. And if you've never had a pastoral conversation, you want to have one with the Reverend Sarah Mast, with me, we'll just sit there and say, yeah, I believe you. That's, that's wild. Wow. Crazy. Okay? So tap into those weird experiences you have had, and that gets you emotionally into today's gospel that Sarah proclaimed for us. The kind of story where for a very brief moment, the veil between what is visible and the realities that are invisible get pulled back. And just for a moment, you think, oh, there's something much more going on than I can simply account for scientifically. Peter, James, and John get one of those today. In between Christmas and Lent, we get this season in the church that's called Epiphany. The major lesson of Epiphany is that God reveals God's identity to us in Jesus Christ. God reveals God's identity to us in Jesus Christ. Epiphany is when we see God face to face. A revelation is revealed, a veil is lifted, an identity is disclosed. Epiphany is where we discover that it is God who finds us. It is not us who go and stumble upon God. Epiphany is when we discover that God is making room in God's life for us. We don't make room for God in our life. We do not make up this faith. This faith has actually been making us the whole time. Epiphany says, your questions about God really do matter. But this is a living God. So just be prepared. God has some questions of God's own for you. Epiphany is all about God revealing God's identity to us in Jesus Christ. Now, the first epiphany is a star shining brightly in the night and leading people towards Jesus. Well, today is the final epiphany. And in today's final epiphany, Jesus himself shines brightly from a mountain. You know, in some ways, this story of the transfiguration is just kinky enough. You just kind of think, yeah, that's kind of what I want experiences with God to be like. Kind of weird, kind of category blowing here. Uh, I would really, if I'm going to have an encounter with the divine, I really would like the heavens to rip open. I would like Jesus to transform in front of my face and like start 
burning brightly to where I have to shield my eyes. I want his face shining like the sun. I would like his clothes to start sparkling a bit. And then it'd be great if some of the old heroes came along, like Moses is there and Elijah is there. And I have no idea how they knew that it was Moses and Elijah, but it says that they are there. And so we're just going with it. Uh, the Holy Spirit's in cloud envelops everybody, and then the voice of the Father, who really doesn't speak that often at all, speaks. The last time we heard this voice speak was in Epiphany at the baptism, and this voice once again says from the mic, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. I mean, don't you, like, come on. If you're going to have an encounter with God, don't you want it to be bizarre like that? Like, unashamedly weird? Now, you might not know it, but the church prescribes this story on the last Sunday of the Epiphany every year. So if you start becoming a person who, like, really makes church your thing, and you show up every year, this is always the last Epiphany. So, you know, if, if Epiphany is a Netflix uh show. Uh, This is a series in the liturgical year, and Epiphany is a season in it. Then episode one is always the Magi finding Jesus via the star, but the season finale is always this story of Epiphany on the mountain. And while it would be tempting to end the season on the mountain, pay really close attention to how Epiphany tells this story. They do not stay on the mountain. Jesus actually refuses to let them stay on the mountain, though they would like to. I wonder if you know what it is to have the magic of a mountaintop experience suddenly ruined by the reality that you must eventually come down. Right about now, you might be thinking, ah, yes, so this sermon is about to collapse into sappy sentimentalisms like, you know, life is really not about the mountaintop, guys. It's about the valley. And I'm here to tell you, no, no. Yes, it is true that Jesus leads them down the mountain of transfiguration, but it is not because he's trying to tell them, we just got to hang out in the valley, guys. It's actually because he's saying, this is not the final mountain. I'm trying to get to another mountain. In a profound sense, it's really not about the valley. It's about the next mountain. And the next mountain has a name. The gospel calls it the skull. Golgotha. This is the mountain in which Jesus Christ would be put to death by the state. And while they're on the mountain of transfiguration and just having a great time, Jesus shuts the party down and says, we're not staying here. And we're not just going to go down to the valley either. I'm actually going to another mountain. I want you to hold both mountains together simultaneously in your imaginations. Theologian James Cone calls this exercise an exercise in theological bifocality where you hold two things together at once and let them mutually inform your understanding of the other, often in a juxtaposition. 
on one mountain, Moses and Elijah are on either side of Jesus. On another mountain, two insurrectionists are flanking him on their own crosses. On one mountain, a bright cloud envelops everybody. On another mountain, darkness covers the sky. On one mountain, a voice from the cloud says, This is my son. And on the other mountain, a Roman centurion looks at Jesus on the cross and says, quote, Surely that must be the son. On one mountain, Jesus' clothes shine brightly. And in the other mountain, he has been stripped, naked, and they are gambling over his cloak. A mountain of glory and a mountain of shame. Now, the real lesson of transfiguration is in this bifocality, learning a lesson that honestly I learned from the Bernard Lonergan. Sight is not the same thing as insight. Sight is not the same thing as insight. Sight looks at the mountain of transfiguration and says, wow, that's impressive. Insight says, oh, this is, we're not staying here, are we? This is an inversion. This is foreshadowing. This is prolepsis. This is looking ahead. The Transfiguration Mountain looks to us like glory, and the Crucifixion Mountain looks to us like shame, and yet I get the sense that Jesus is holding them in a bifocality and saying, why are you so sure you know what glory and shame are ahead of time? And in what ways might these two mountains together force you to do a deep rethink about what you think a glorious life is and what you think a shameful life is. Jesus shows us a way to imagine new realities where we discover shame in glory and honor. And we find honor in what we often think is shame. We find humanity and glory We find God in humble shame. We find God in Jesus. We find God in Jesus' shame. We're even going to find God in Jesus' death. I, I have basically operated my whole life thinking that greatness is about doing great things in the world and putting a dent into the universe and making sure that I do something positive and people notice. How about you? Well, Jesus Christ invites us to imagine a better way of being human, which is to discover greatness in small acts of humility that nobody notices except God. And success is actually found in small acts of service, not how impressive your LinkedIn changes every 18 months. Jesus Christ shows us that the greatness of God is found in the smallness of God. 
And in some ways, we don't want that. We want the big, bad, glorious God because we think that's impressive and we think that's powerful and we think that's what it means to live a good life and we want that life too. And Jesus says, hey, buddy, we're not staying here. We have to go to another mountain. Do you see the epiphany as you behold these two mountains in bifocality? God is showing you who God actually is. And God is not your best guess about God coming true. Nor the labor of your hard work figuring out who God is. No, God is just disclosing who God actually is. And you and I are simply left to deal with it. Are we willing to let God be who God actually is? Or do we always want a little bit of control and purchase over God to say, thank you, but what I really need for you is to... Are we willing to be with a God that we cannot define for ourselves and is so free that God is just God in God's self? Perhaps hardest of all, are you willing to be with a God that you cannot control? I mean, how much of your life is devoted to just trying to manipulate control back? In love, you don't get to do that with God. Well, that's transfiguration. Pulling back the curtain for just a moment and seeing that something more is going on. A transfiguration happens every time we baptize people in those waters. A transfiguration happens every time that we consume the bread and the wine. Little epiphanies. Little openings. Little unveilings that God uses to come closer to us. The season of Epiphany ends with Jesus leading us down the mountain. Refusing to let us live in a mountaintop experience. And we begin to follow him as he leads us somewhere that we honestly wouldn't like to go on our own. Are you willing to follow Jesus to where he's actually leading you in your life? Even if it's somewhere that you're unaware of? Even if it's to an unknown future? Well, welcome to Epiphany. It's coming to an end. You are now walking with Jesus between the mountain of transfiguration towards the mountain of crucifixion. And the name for that walk between the mountains is what we call Lent. find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.